I invite your attention now to the New Testament book of Luke. Luke, who is also the author of the book of Acts, we're going to deter away from Acts today, and we're going to be in Luke chapter number 22. Luke chapter number 22, where we'll find our scripture this morning. And let's go to the Lord in prayer at this time. Father God, this is your word. This is the table of your spiritual bread that you have for us. Now, as you have given me the message for today, use me as your servant to deliver that message. And as we hear your word, Lord, help us to hear it and heed it and find the richness, the blessing, the help that's available through your word. Your word is eternal and infallible. And because of that, Lord Jesus, we can trust it. Help us now, Holy Spirit, the one who authored it, open our ears and hearts and help us to receive it and act upon it. For we ask it with thanksgiving in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Well, today we're going to go back to the upper room where we were just a few weeks ago, right before Easter. On Thursday evening, we talked about this almost two weeks ago. And I want to pull from that story of the upper room a little segment of it, a little part of it that I want us to focus on today. There in the upper room, Jesus had that last Passover meal with his disciples. This is the night before he went to the cross. He gave them some wonderful teaching that included warning as well as instruction and encouragement on how to face the days ahead. He gave them promises on what they could expect in his coming back again and having gone to prepare a place for them. He had that supper and infused it with new meaning as he said that this cup is now uh, my blood of the covenant and the bread my body broken for you. But in the midst of that evening there on Thursday night in the upper room, Jesus spoke directly to the apostle Peter, Simon Peter. And I want you to hear the words that he gave him in verse 31, chapter 22. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon. Now let's stop there a minute. Let me tell you what the word Simon means. It means to hear, to hear. And it's as if the Lord is saying, listen up, Pete, listen up. I'm telling you twice, listen up. I have something for you. Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. But Peter said to him, Lord, I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Then Jesus said, I tell you, Peter. Now he goes from listen up to Rocky, listen Rocky. The rooster shall not crow this day before you deny me, deny three times that you know me. Today we're going to talk about the sifting of the saints. Satan sifting the saints. We're going to talk about spiritual warfare today. We're going to talk about how the devil works in our lives to bring us down. Now some of you have already checked me out. Some of you said, well, I don't have any problems with the devil. I wouldn't brag about that. That's nothing to brag about. That's something to be ashamed of if you don't have any problems with the devil. Some of you are thinking about lunch. 
Some of you are thinking about the ball game this afternoon or the trip to grandma's or whatever may be on your mind. I want to give you a scripture, but first I want to give you a story, quick story. 22 years ago, I was out on the Holly Springs ball field where my son was playing uh, in the Little League, and we had an end-of-the-year parents versus the players ball game. I was playing right field. Now, let me tell you about my baseball exploits. Many of you don't know this. It's going to wow you. But I was on the Little League All-Star team in Anderson when I was a young fella. So I knew what I was doing. And my son came to bat. And he hit the ball. It was a hard grounder that went right past the first baseman. I'm out in right field. So I go for it. And I'm going to tell you, I went for it too. I was going to put my son out at first base. But instead, I woke up with several people looking over me and got hauled to the hospital, diagnosed with a broken pelvic bone, and Travis Sloan had to help me in my house right across here with a hospital gown on that didn't fit all the way around. <laughs> I'm sorry to bring up that memory to you, Travis, but he did. Now, here's my scripture to go with it. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 12. Write it down. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. You never know when you're going to fall. And you never know when the fall is going to be spiritual. So it's best to be ready. So we're going to learn today about how to be ready, how to avoid a fall, what to do if you have fallen, how to deal with the sifting of Satan. Now let's learn some lessons. Let's take this little story and learn some lessons. Lesson number one, let's talk about the sifting plan of Satan. Now notice what Jesus said to Simon Peter. Simon, Simon, indeed, Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. Now here is Satan's intention. Notice, you won't see this in the English, but when he starts out and says that that Satan has desired to sift you. It's in the Greek plural. He was talking to all of those disciples. Satan wants to sift you. Now, what does this mean, sifting as wheat? Well, back in that day, they would take wheat out of the field and go to the threshing floor on a windy day outside, and they would press it down, and then they would take these huge shovels or pitchforks and throw it up in the air. The wind would blow away the light chaff and the grain of the wheat would fall back down on the threshing floor. They would scoop it up, they'd put it into baskets, they would take it to another place and then they would sift it. They would take a sieve or we'd call it a strainer like you have a colander in your, your kitchen but this would be a huge piece of equipment. They would pour all that wheat grain on it and shake it and shake it and out from that would fall the grain through the sieve. But the, the sieve would catch the impurities, the little rocks, the little sticks, the little objects that got mixed in there somehow through the wind or whatever. It would be sifted through that sieve. And when Jesus used this picture, he uses a very graphic illustration to point out the fact that the devil wants to sift each and every one of us who are saved. 
Now the devil is trying to bring forth through this process our weaknesses and our impurities. And I want to tell you something, folks. The guy behind the pulpit has a lot of them. Anybody else in that category? Got a lot of them. Past ones that are under the blood, forgiven. Future that are going to happen, guess what? They're under the blood too. But they're still there. And he wants to bring these out. He wants to take them before God and see like he did with, with Job, but he couldn't find anything. And God says, you haven't looked at my man. He's really righteous. But he wants to say, look, Lord, what he doesn't realize is when God looks at my impurities, he's looking through the lens of the blood of Jesus. He sees none. But the devil likes to bring it up. The one place calls the devil, uh, Revelation 12, he is the accuser of the brethren. He loves to go before God and say, look, look what Pastor Tim did. Look what Brother Dave thought. Look what Brother Mike did. Look at these things, Lord. And they call themselves Christians. Look at that. He loves to do it. And how does he sift us personally? Well, obviously he uses temptation. He's called the tempter, isn't he, in the Bible? He uses doubts. He'll plant a little doubt in your mind. Is God really who He thinks He is, says He is? Is the Bible really true? These kind of things. He uses persecution. Many of our brethren today around the globe are being persecuted for their faith, sifted by the devil today. He uses excessive trials. Many of you have gone through these or maybe going through these physical trials. Job uh, the devil brought physical trials and personal trials down upon his life. Lost his children. Lost his health. Lost his wealth. Some of you may be going through something like this. Fears. He loves to plant a little fear in your thought, your mind, your heart. And then oppression. You know, when I first started preaching, I mean just a kid preacher, kid, kid pastor, I would have these weeks where I would say, to myself, this sermon is just not coming together. And nine times out of ten, I thought it was because I had the wrong text, wrong title, wrong points, wrong illustration, or not enough of any of those. But what I've discovered after 40 years of preaching, 45 years of preaching, 40 years pastoring, nine times out of ten, I'm right on target and the devil's trying to stop me. Right on target. He loves to use oppression. Just that general means of making you feel but down and defeated and discouraged. And yes, he loves to use discouragement. The Bible says in 1 Peter 5 verse 8, Peter wrote this after this experience. Peter said, beware, be alert. Your adversary the devil walks about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And I want to tell you something today, my Christian friend. He wants to devour your testimony. He wants to devour your spiritual power. He wants to devour your effectiveness. And if you're not careful, he'll achieve his purpose. And boy, doesn't he stay at it. I heard about these two Christian ladies having a coffee break one day. And one of them was just extremely positive. You've been around people like that, everything's positive. The other one was talking to her and she said, you know what, I believe you could say something good about the devil. She said, well, you have to admire his persistence. <laughs> well, he is persistent. 
And he knows exactly how to sift us. And we better be careful. He has a plan. The demons have a plan. And they are ultimately wanting to hinder and hamper the work of the kingdom of God by doing it to the saints. This is Satan's intention. But let me show you something here. Get your amen ready. I want you to have a lot of amens ready today because we're going to higher ground, okay? Not only do we see his intention, but I want you to see his limitation. Did you see it? If you're not careful, you'll miss it. Go back to verse 31. Simon, Simon, indeed, Satan has asked for you. Did you get it? Satan has to get permission to do what he wants to do. The demons have to get permission. Satan is not sovereign. God is sovereign. The devil may be the ruler of this world according to Scripture, but he rules a doomed domain and he's under the authority of holy God. Just like with Job, he had to go get permission. God granted it. We'll talk about that in a minute. But he has to. He's limited. There are limitations to the devil. And this fact alone should encourage us today. I put with this 1 Corinthians 10 verse 13, and I hope you will, where the Bible says there's no temptation given among men. By the way, the word temptation in that verse can mean testing. It can also mean affliction. There's no temptation, testing, affliction, but such as is common to man. And God will, with the temptation, not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able, but will provide a way of escape. God limits the devil. And if he allows the temptation to come, there's a purpose. There's a purpose in the testing. Now you say, well, why does God allow it? Well, we know why the devil allows it and wants it. John 10, 10 says, the thief comes only to kill, to steal, to destroy. To kill, to steal, destroy. He wants to kill your testimony. He wants to destroy your effectiveness. He wants to ruin your future. That's his purpose. There's nothing good in what the devil does. And listen to me. I don't care if you're a young person, an older person, anybody in between. And I say this because it surprises me to see and hear what people talk about, what they watch, and what they listen to. If you are dabbling in anything that glorifies the devil, the demonic wickedness, you better get away from it right now. You say, well, I just laugh at it. That's what the devil wants you to do. He wants you to laugh at those things so that later you will open up your heart without realizing it. You say, well, it's, it's, it's not real. Friend, you are blind if you think that. The devil is real. The demons are real. The demonic is real. You say, well, I can't see it. I can't see text messages. But somebody's texting somebody in this building right now. Did you leave the burner on? Is the iron plugged up? Where are we going to eat? I can't see it, but I know it's happening. You know it's happening too. And friends, there's a spiritual battle going on, and we better be aware of it. But God has a purpose in it. If He allows it, He has a purpose. Now I want to give you a scripture to go with this. It's in James chapter number 1 and verse number 2 and following. James 1 verse 2 and following. My brethren... Now you kind of feel like James went off his rocker when you hear the first part. Count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Now he didn't say count your trials as something joyful. That's not what he said. 
Listen to the next verse. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. Some of you have been praying for patience. Here's how you get it. Lord, send me a test. I want to learn how to be patient. But let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect, complete, lacking nothing. That word perfect means mature. You may be a finished product. God allows it so that through it, He can show us how to be mature Christians. Do you realize today we would not learn to grow and we would not grow in our faith if it were not for troubles? If everything was always smooth sailing, we would be baby Christians in the nursery. That's all we'd be. And that's all we'd ever be. We grow through the trials. And God is, is, is on a mission. And put with this Romans 8, 28 and 29 where it says all things work together for good to them that love God who are the called according to His purpose. And He says in verse 29, For God wants us to be conformed to the image of His Son. That's what He's working toward. To make us like Jesus. Let's go back to our picture a moment ago of the sifting of the wheat. The sifting takes out the impurities. By the way, that's another reason God allows some of us to go through testing. He wants to get some spiritual impurities out of our life. Things that are corrupting us. Things that are harming us. But take that picture. Here they are with a sieve, a strainer, and they've got that, that grain and, and those impurities are staying at the top. But guess what's falling down? That beautiful, delicious grain. And when we go through testing, the Lord is trying to bring out spiritual grain, golden grain in our lives. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that wonderful? That's what the Lord's doing. So here we see the sifting plan of Satan. But I want you to notice something else. The faltering proclivity of the saints. Now, notice what he says in verse 32. Peter, I prayed for you that your faith should not fail when you have returned to me. You know what he's saying? Peter, you're going to stumble. When you've returned to me, he said, strengthen your brethren. And Peter said, Lord... <laughs> I'm ready to go with you both to prison and death. Now, Matthew includes something that Luke didn't include. Go read Matthew. And Matthew said in 26.33 that Peter went on to say, Even if all the others stumble, you can count on me, Lord. I mean, this guy, he's proud. He is boastful. I'm going to be your man. You let old Philip go and run away like a scared cat. And you let old uh, Matthew run away like a scared rabbit. I'll be there for you, Lord. What a boast. But let's see how it turned out. Fast forward down to verse 54. They've already arrested Jesus in the garden. And having arrested him, they led him and brought him into the high priest's house. But Peter followed at a distance. Wait a minute. This was the guy's going to be his right-hand man. He's got his back now. He's just got him way back. Okay. He followed at a distance. Now when they had kindled a fire in the midst of the courtyard and sat down, Peter sat down among them. And a certain slave girl, seeing him as he sat by the fire, looked intently at him and said, This man was also with them. But he denied him, saying, Woman, I do not know him. Number one. And after a little while, another saw him and said, You are one of them. But Peter said, Man, I am not. Number two. 
Then after about an hour had passed, another confidently affirmed and said, Surely this guy was with him. He's a Galilean. In other words, he talks like them boys up north. He's got an accent. Peter says, Man, I do not know what you're saying. And immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Have you ever had the Lord turn and look at you? Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Peter went out and wept bitterly. Now let's be honest, folks. We've all been there. I'm not going to ask for testimony. We won't get lunch, maybe not get dinner. We've all been there. We've all done it at some form or fashion. Why was it that this guy could go from boasting to hiding? How did it happen? What was his problem? I'm going to give you two answers. There may be more, but two I see in this passage. Number one, Peter was overly self-confident. Overly self-confident. Peter had a problem that's called foot and mouth disease. You know anybody like that? He was constantly putting his foot in his mouth. Bragging about what he couldn't provide. And he did so here. Lord, if you go to prison, even to death, I'll be there with you. Now, I want to tell you something about Peter. Don't get the idea that Peter was a manby-pamby. Peter was a man's man. Peter worked in the hot sun out on the shores of Galilee. He worked on the ships. He pulled the ropes. He mended the nets. He had his hands cut and calloused. He dealt with those smelly fish and scales would sometimes cut his body. And Peter was hauling huge nets with fish in them. Maybe had a few fights along the way. I don't know. This guy was a man's man. But friend, I want to tell you something. His strength became his weakness. We say, well, the devil knows my weaknesses. Well, everybody knows that. That's easy. But do you know the devil also knows your strengths? Oswald Chambers said, an unguarded strength is a double weakness. I was thinking last night about 9-11, September 11, 2001. How did those terrorists get into America? How did they do what they did? They took one of our strengths, our airline system, a mighty system, a multi-billion dollar system that covered the world. But they found it was unguarded as it should be. And they exploited it. If you're not careful, the devil will exploit not only your weaknesses, but your strengths. An unguarded strength, Chambers said, is a double weakness. But not only his over self-confidence, but Peter had a problem with prayerlessness. When they leave the upper room, they go to the garden. Verse number 39 tells us this. They went to the Mount of Olives, which was his custom. And I'll just tell you, if you take all the Gospels and put them together, here's what it says. Jesus got to a point and He said, Boys, stay right here and pray for me. Watch and pray. Watch and pray. I'm going over there just a little further to pray. And you remember Jesus went to pray and how did He pray? Father, if it be Your will, take this cup away. What was He talking about? The cross, the suffering. But nevertheless, not my will, but Yours be done. He came back and guess what they're doing? He goes back again. Praise the same. Comes back, what are they doing? Third time comes back. They're sleeping. You know who was in that group? Peter was in that group. Sleeping away. Some of us today are easy prey for the devil because we don't pray as we should. 
In fact, here's a good illustration of it in this chap, same chapter, Luke 22, because when they came in a, to arrest Jesus, they brought a, a contingent of military people along with some of the religious leaders, and they went to take Jesus, and verse 49 says, when those around him saw what was going to happen, they said, Lord, shall we strike with a sword? Now you remember in the upper room, Jesus gave them some preparation for this time, and they had two swords. Just go read all the Gospels. They had two swords. And there they are. One of them, I think one of them was on Peter's right-hand side. Or maybe the left. I don't know. And another disciple had the other one. Lord, shall we strike with a sword? Would you say that's a prayer? Lord, what, what do we do now? Shall we use the sword now? But look at verse 50. But one of them struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his right ear. <laughs> you say, why did he get his ear? Because he was aiming for his neck and the guy must have ducked. He got his ear. If you read the book of John, you find out that the man who took that sword out, who asked permission and didn't wait on an answer, was Peter. And he cut off Malchus' ear. Jesus replaced it miraculously. Peter, Lord, what you want us to do? Whoosh! Don't have time to wait on an answer. That's why some of us get defeated in our spiritual lives. We throw up some kind of token prayer and don't wait on God to, to guide us. And we find ourselves in the sieve of the devil being sifted like wheat. I think about my own life, and friend, I want to tell you something. I look at my 45 plus years as a Christian, and almost all of my failures can be directly trace back to prayerlessness or not praying as I should. Almost all of them. God's army marches to victory only, only on its knees, on its knees. So here is the faltering proclivity that we all have. So we need to beware. But I want you to notice something else. You got that hallelujah ready? Anybody with a hallelujah ready? All right. I want you to notice something. Look at verse 32 once again. But I have prayed for you. Hey, if you want anybody praying for you, you want Jesus praying for you. <laughs> We've got some great prayer warriors in this room today, but I wouldn't put any one of them up against Jesus. In fact, I wouldn't put all of you up against Jesus. And I'm putting myself in that category. I want Jesus praying for me if anybody's going to pray for me. You say, but pastor, Jesus' prayer must have not have made it through. Oh, yes, it did. Oh, yes, it did. You're misreading something. I want you to see the verse again. But I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me, you're to strengthen your brethren. Jesus knew already in his sovereignty that Peter was going to stumble. Peter was going to deny. He's already told him it's going to happen. But he's praying, Father, bring old Peter back. You see, Peter stumbled, but his faith ultimately did not fail because he had Jesus praying for him. You say, how do you know that? Well, you need to go to John 21, where Jesus finds Peter and some of the other disciples on the seashore fishing, and he looks at old Pete and he says, Pete, do you love me? He says, yes, Lord, you know I love you. He said, take care of my sheep. Pete, do you love me? Second time. Yes, Lord, you know I love you. He said, I want you to tend to my sheep. Pete, do you love me? Yes, Lord, I love you. You know I love you. You know all things. Take care of my sheep. 
And the Lord was saying to Peter, Peter, you stumbled, but I'm bringing you back. I'm reinstating you. Your faith is still there. It's still real. And isn't that what he said in the verse? When you have returned, you're to strengthen your brethren. Oh, listen, failure is never final when Jesus is in the picture. Never. And I don't care where you've been, what you've done, how far down you've gone. Jesus is there to lift you up and to restore you. Now, I think often, let me just give you, this is a side note, no extra charge, okay? Psalm 37, 23, 24. Psalm 37, 23 and 24. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and God delights in His way. Though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down. Now listen to this. For the Lord upholds him with his hand. That's Jesus. And all he was doing was saying, Peter, I'm praying, and I'm going to pull you back out of this. I'm going to pull you back up. Now, as we close, I want to give you some verses, and I'm just going to tell you what they say. You ready? John 17. There in that upper room, sometime during that night, Jesus prayed. Go home and read the great prayer of Jesus in John 17. It's the upper room prayer. And he spent a lot of time praying for his disciples. Lord, help them. Lord, protect them. Keep them from the evil one. Sanctify them. I called them out of the world and they are yours. And Lord, just watch over them and take care of them. But when you get to John 17, verse 20, the Lord shifts his prayer and he says, I pray not only for these, but for those who will believe in me through their word. You just got prayed for in the upper room. Don't you like that? There in the upper room praying for you. How many of you believed on Jesus because you got the word passed down to you? Anybody in that category? Well, you got prayed for. Would you add to that Romans 8 verse 34 where the Bible said that when he ascended up to heaven, he went to the right hand of the Father to intercede for the saints. The right hand is a word picture that simply means that he and the Father are like this, like this. And he intercedes for the saints. Now you really ready for your amen? Really ready to use it? Put down Hebrews 7 verse 25. Where it says, Our great high priest is now in the heavens where he ever lives to make intercession for us. Amen. Ever lives. He's making intercession for you right now. He'll be making intercession for you tomorrow. He'll be making intercession for us the next day and the next day and the next day until one day He takes us up to glory and we're a finished product. Aren't you thankful for that? Oh my, oh my. I sometimes say, Lord, I don't know how to pray. And the Holy Spirit says, I got this, son, I got this. <laughs> but Lord, the burden's heavy. And God the Son says, I know, but I've took the cross and I can take this too. Yeah. Oh Lord, do you understand? I don't understand. And Jesus says, oh, I got it, son. I got it understood completely. And I just gave it to the Father. And He's got this. Hallelujah. What a Savior.
But I know what some of you are thinking, and I've thought it at times. Some of you are saying, but pastor, I'm like Peter. I've already fallen. I've already fallen. Look, I've fallen. I've got news for you today. I want to read it and then we're done. 1 John chapter 2, verse 1. 1 John 2, 1. My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. You know what the word advocate means? It means lawyer. We had a lawyer in the early service, one of our members. I had put him on the spot and illustrated with him. You know, the lawyer plays, plays an important role. I was in a courtroom one time. I've been in courtroom many times testifying, just testifying, okay? <laughs> but I, I was in the courtroom with my attorney friend, Terry Alford, one time. I used to go when I was in seminary, and I'd have a day off, and I'd go and watch him in court. Do you know that you can't just approach the bench? I mean, you just can't stand up and say, I think I'll go up there and talk to the judge. It doesn't happen. There's a guy with a badge and a gun who knows how to stop you. But I was sitting back there in the audience, and Terry was up there at the bench, and he turned around and said, Tim, come here. He, yeah, you. I go marching up there. He said, Tim, I want you to meet the judge today. His name is. And the judge reached over, stuck out his hand. I put my hand in his. I said, good to meet you, judge. Good to meet you. But that would not have happened without the advocate, the attorney. And friend, I want to tell you, we all need Jesus as our attorney. You've fallen... He's there for you. If you're not saved, you need to come to know this attorney personally as your Savior and Lord, and we want to help you do that. That's what this song is going to be about in a minute, this invitation time, to give people that opportunity like a young man did recently in one of our early services. Now, others have done. But today, if you are a child of God and you say, I have fallen, the Lord knows it, I know it, I can't get it off of my conscience, I'm guilty, friend, you let the attorney take the case and settle it for you. You just confess. 1 John 1, 9. Confess it and turn it over to Him. He'll take care of you. And you're going to find yourself like Peter and the Lord's going to come back to you and say, now, didn't I tell you? You're coming back. It's time now to strengthen your brethren. Let's stand together now with heads and hearts bowed. We're about to sing our hymn of decision. The song is, Jesus, I Come. God's people are praying right now. So I ask you to pray. Today, if you come to this place and you do not know Jesus personally, you do not know the full pardon of sin, the blood that washes away all of our guilt and all of our sin. We want to invite you to come as we sing. Just step out in one of these aisles and come down, and one of us will be here to meet you and to help you. Maybe you're not sure if you're saved. You want to get that settled today. Maybe today you are saved, but you just need some time with Jesus. 
Maybe you're praying for someone else that you're concerned about who's had a spiritual stumble. They need to be picked up and lifted up. Maybe you just want to come and kneel at the altar, sit on the front row and pray. Maybe the Lord's leading you to join this church. He's leading you to be baptized because you have been saved. Whatever it is, come today. Lord Jesus, now as we sing, help us to believe the words of this song, to live them. And I pray today that you would reach down to that heart that's heaviest, to that heart that feels like he or she will never be restored and give them hope today and lift them up today, I pray. And I thank you, Jesus, in your precious name. Amen.